Well, that's where we are today. We live in a world of intimidation. I don't get intimidated very often, by the way. Some of you get intimidated all the time. It's a nice place to be in that you don't get intimidated. But I have been there, and I do I have been intimidated, and I don't like it. It's a bad feeling. Matter of fact, when somebody is in trying to intimidate you, what they're doing <clears throat> is they're trying to keep you quiet. They're trying to make you woke. And so biblically, when they try to intimidate you because of what you believe and what you think, that's where the cancel culture came from today. And so Paul, the apostle, you may not believe this, but right here in the scripture, Paul, the apostle, dealt with the cancel culture in his day. You see, you can use all the new terminology and call it the cancel culture and the woke culture and all that, but Paul dealt with the same thing in Athens and Corinth. It's nothing new. And I'm going to show you how Paul handled that. And I'm going to show you about the message, the gospel message. And the gospel message, you know, I've, you, know you, you, you young whoopersnappers, y'all are going to go to college. And I would encourage you today, be very careful about the college you go to. Because the woke culture is going to get after you. And that's where a lot of this is coming from in many of the big-time colleges and even little colleges today. It's in the pulpits. It's everywhere. But when some professor down, looks down at you over across his glasses in the nose and tries to intimidate you about what you believe, you have to know what to stand on. Not only you, or even as a young college student, the preachers now are getting intimidated, and they're backing off. Well, we're not going to back off, and I'm going to show you why. This is so beautiful. Sometimes it's just the first day of class. Sometimes it's the first day of college. Sometimes it's you're the new kid in the neighborhood or some stressful meetings. I've literally seen people in very intimidating meetings. I've seen people just put their hands <laughs> in their face and hide. Now, that's intimidating. When you, when you feel like you've got to hide, when you, I mean, when you get on to somebody and you have to get on to your kids sometimes and they play invisible on you, that's intimidation. Well, that's what the cancel culture, that's what the people of the world, the culture itself today wants to do that to you. This feeling happens when you feel like you're at a disadvantage or you don't have the information that other people have. But I want to tell you today, you have something within you that's more powerful than nuclear weapons. You have the truth of the gospel. You have truth of Jesus Christ within you. And this can happen to mature Christians. Even one of my favorite professors, Dr. Gray Allison, would tell us, he said, man, I was way later on age in life when my mentor told me that every time he shared his faith with somebody, he felt intimidated. And Dr. Gray was one of the greatest witnesses that I've ever known. And Dr. Gray said, man, why didn't you tell me that a long time ago? It would have made me feel so much better by itself. Now, you know that I'm a personality, I'm verbose, and I'm out there. I'll witness to a stump. But I want to be honest with you today. I have never shared with somebody that I don't know that I don't fear, feel a little bit of fear and trepidation and some intimidation. But you do it anyway. And you learn, you get better at it. So I've had the door slammed in my face a few times, and it's all right. You remember not too long ago, Tim Tebow and Focus on the Family, Tim Tebow and his mother ran an, ran an ad during the Super Bowl. And boy, about being an anti-abortion family and that tried to say people need to, to stand up for life. Well, I'm telling you, the world got flipped upside down about it. They were intimidated as a family. 
And I'm so proud of him, he hasn't backed off of it, even still today. Now, I'm glad that we have this text today that I'm preaching. Paul is going to show us how to deal with spiritual intimidation. And the whole point of the cancel culture today is to get you to stop voicing your opinion. It is about intimidation, especially if you are a Christian. And it, and, and it has as its goal literally today to stop you, to intimidate you. And one of the things I've said always about the cancel culture is, I said, they're going to they're end up, it'll go too far and they'll eat their own. And that's what they're doing now. It's backfiring. So you all are aware of the, the my pillow guy. We, we laugh at him. The man's a millionaire. But boy, when he supported Donald Trump and then everybody got after him because he supported Donald Trump and then they tried to bankrupt him. But he's come back now and he's a Christian. It wasn't about Donald Trump. He was it, it, all that political stuff. It was about he was a Christian and they wanted to stop him. And now he's doing better than ever. So buy a pillow or two here. But what happened this last couple of weeks? Boy, Bud Light got, that, got it handed to them, didn't he? They got it handed to them. They've lost billions of dollars by trying to force a woke culture belief down your throat through their product. And what happened? It backfired. And then so all the people quit buying their product, and they've lost billions of dollars. And I told you, I said, see, here's what will happen. They'll end up, they'll eat their own. It'll backfire, and that's exactly what happened. So you say, Brother Jerry, what does this have to do? Let me tell you about the context of the message, and then we're going to read our passage here in a second. Just taxi with me. We're going to go. The city of Corinth is a pagan place, and Paul had just come from Athens. We're going to read that passage in just a second. We're talking about people in Corinth who are the cultured people of the day. They're the modern people, and at least for the time, they were one of the best things going. Corinth was a place that was filled with all of the arts, they were the high-class folks, the philosophizers. They were sitting around all day philosophizing the greater truths about life and existence and where we came from and creation and all of those things. Greek thought and philosophy was the order of the day. The topics on the street corners were religion and existence and where we came from and creation and philosophy. Religion was intellectual and, and, and immoral at the same time. Man, they, they, there in Corinth, they had the, the temples of uh, Apollo and uh, Aphrodite, the ancient Greek goddess of love and beauty. And so we know all the, the, the flowery speech and things that came from all of that. They had a huge agora, a big marketplace. It was very active and popular. And one thing we have a hard time with is, is thinking and, and, and understanding that in that place where Corinth and Athens and Rome, there were millions of people there. We had a hard time with that. So we think, oh, when we read the Bible, that was just some little podunk city over there. No, they had it going on. This was the, this was the place. It was literally the place where the, the Lycaean way came through there. And all the new ideas and thoughts and techniques and new products of the day came through Athens and came through Corinth through this Lycaean way. So here we have this beautiful big new city where all these new thoughts and ideas were there. They were brought to the city for the people to try out. Uh, they sold products there. The, the newest of the new was there. And so Paul the Apostle had this job. And his job was very difficult. He was bringing the gospel into this type of situation that was one of the most intimidating that could be for any man, any preacher that could be. The intimidation factor was very, very, very high. <clears throat> if this were not intimidating enough, 
you had to add to this his previous situation into the mix. Paul had just left Athens. He was laughed out of town. You see, Paul the apostle? Absolutely. If what happened to Paul the apostle happened to the modern-day preacher, he'd either quit preaching the gospel or he would change his message. That's exactly what would have happened. Listen to what happened to Paul, and then we're going to read our text. And in Acts chapter 17, in verse 16 through 34, we find this. <clears throat> now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. You didn't say it that way, but you've said that this week. I guarantee you, you've talked to someone, and you said, this world is in a mess. You said that to somebody probably this week. All you got to do is watch the news for a few minutes and you just start shaking your head. You say, I can't believe that. Paul got to Athens. He said, my goodness, look at this place. It is so pagan. So Paul comes and he's on this missionary journey and he comes from Jerusalem. He comes from Antioch and then he gets into Athens. He gets into Greece and he says, my goodness, look at this place. He, and so therefore, he went into the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the Gentiles. And in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there, then certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him, the professors of the day, the news pundits of the day. The woke culture met Paul right there, and here's what they said. What does this babbler want to say? And other people said he seems to be proclaiming foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. What did Paul take to the cancel culture? The same thing that your preacher is preaching from this pulpit today. I'm preaching Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. I don't care what the culture does. I'm going to bring the same message that he did. Paul, when you see the text in a minute, you're going to be, it's going to be unbelievable. You're going to say, Look at the context of this. And they took him. They brought him to the Areopagus, and they said, we've got to know about this new, this new doctrine. You're bringing some strange things to our ears. How could the people in the most cultured, intellectual place in all of the world think that what Paul was bringing to them was strange? <clears throat> you take Jesus into the modern college classroom today, and they'll call you a babbler too. You'll meet the Epicureans there. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Well, isn't that just sweet? I'm telling you, it's not the new thing that you need. It's the old-time gospel that you need. You need the same old thing. And Paul addressed the Areopagus. Paul didn't go hiding Paul didn't find himself and say, oh, I got, I'm just going to be intimidated about what I think. I'm, I'm afraid of all the philosophers. Why, Aristotle may be here today. Well, good. Maybe Aristotle will get saved and start making some sense. Y'all all right? And you say, well, I can't reach my professor. Oh, yeah, I've put, I put some of my professors in college on the hot seat, man, with the Scripture. They couldn't answer and so addressing them, Paul stood up in the midst of them and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that uh, in all of these things that you're very religious. For I passed through and I considered all your objects of worship and I even found an altar to the inscription, the unknown God. And Paul says, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. So how could you 
feel intimidated by talking to people who are so intelligent and they're worshiping God, they don't even know. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you who that God is. You say, oh, well, Paul must have got laughed out of town. Well, yeah, he did. Paul says this, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, and he made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the earth and to the face of the earth. And he's determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries in their dwellings <clears throat> so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that he might uh, grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move, we have our being, as some of your own poets have literally said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by, the, by art or man's devising. Paul went straight to the heart of the argument. He said, I looked all over your city and here's your idols and I want to tell you your idols of gold and silver and wood are absolutely useless. I want you to know the God who created all men and determined their boundaries. God knew where the Asians and the Hispanics and the Africans and the Americans and he knew where, he knew where every nation and tribe was going to be and set boundaries for them. He said, you intelligent folks have missed it. And I'm going to tell you who they are. And listen to this. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men to repent. Well, that's a lost word right there in the preaching of modern day uh, men that I know who completely miss, completely miss the, the act of repentance you come and join our church. We love you. We just don't want to be so inclusive. You can just come go and join and go to hell with the rest of us. That's where we are today. <clears throat> you say, well, Brother Jerry, that's tough language. Hold on, I'm going to read you some tough language here in a second. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they mocked him. Let me tell you something. If you, you say, Brother Jerry, you don't believe what people said about you. Praise the Lord. I hope you will mock me because it lets me know that I'm right on track. It lets me know I'm right where I need to be. And they said, we will hear you again on this matter. No, they didn't. Paul left. You know what they were doing? We can't answer your questions, so we just won't talk to you anymore. You ever seen these people out protesting today? And Charlie Kirk go there. Veritas goes there. And then they won't, they won't engage in conversation. They'll get a microphone. And here's what the guy did, though. They had his microphone and had a whistle. And the whole time somebody's trying to converse with him, he's blowing the whistle. You know why he's doing that? He's mocking. He doesn't have an answer at all to what's been said to him. They have no answers. They're just mockers. That's what they do. Who would not see it? He said, however, bless the Lord on my soul. Watch this right here. Here's what it says. Verse 34, however, some men joined Paul, a few, and they believed. Among them, Dionysus, and a woman named Damaris, and some others. 
I want to tell you. You say, oh, that was just, that was terrible. All of that that Paul did, Paul took the intimidation. He went to the heart of the beast. He fought those people, and a handful of people got saved. And let, listen very carefully to me. Listen to me. If Paul didn't take the gospel of the death, the burial, the resurrection, Jesus crucified and repentance to those people, nobody would have gotten saved. Now watch this. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 2, the first five verses. Here's our text. Now that was, that was the context of our passage. You want to know why you don't understand your Bible? You're not doing proper context. Find out the context. Now the, the context of what I just preached to you is going to explain the passage to you. You're going to understand this passage before I preach it. Now watch. Here's the text. And I, brethren, this is the New King James Version, when I came to you from where? From Athens. I did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I submit to you that if Paul the Apostle had found anything worthy of repeating, he would have found it in Athens. But Paul didn't bring anything from Athens to Corinth that was of any use from the philosophers. Paul said, I came and I brought the same message to you that I preached to them. Boy, if you're just one of these old hotshot American preachers, you don't get the results that you want. You change the message. Blasphemy. Paul says, I didn't get the results I wanted, but I'm not in charge of that. God's in charge of that. You can go now on Sirius XM. They have a Billy Graham channel. <clears throat> and I saw David Jeremiah this morning before I came to work. To, to, to church and I was listening to Dr. Jeremiah and he was being interviewed by someone so I have the TV on while I'm getting dressed and boy this was great this was great he was being interviewed and, the, and he says I've been listening to Billy Graham lately and all those old messages that Dr. Graham used to preach when you listen to, to Billy Graham every message you go listen to 10 messages in a row on Sirius XM here's what you're going to find very few illustrations very few outlines He'll go to a gospel passage, and he'll preach the message. That's it. See, I've got to put illustrations in here and organize it and do all these kind of things, or we lose our audience. I want to use every homiletical technique that I possibly can. And, and Billy Graham has probably seen in our modern day more people saved than anyone else. And what's he preaching? Every time, every time he preaches, it centers around the gospel message. Simple gospel message. That's it. So why would Paul say, man, I went there, I didn't get the results that I wanted, but the next town I go to, here's what we're going to do, fellas. I want to, Paul, here he's a babbler, he's been sneered at, they laughed at him, they ran him out of town, he went to the place where the hip people were. You know what that means? Paul spoke to the woke crowd, and the woke crowd rejected the gospel message. So then he left there and he went somewhere else, and guess what? He preached the same message. 
On top of all this, Paul had the ministry of the churches to deal with. He was, he was having to deal with trying to, to train and set up leaders and do all of this. But every place that he went, Paul picked a fight. He went to the synagogue and preached the message of Jesus crucified and raised again. <clears throat> Y'all all right? He only had a few, but... People probably that day was just a modern-day Baptist preacher. Somebody would have said, well, Paul, what you need to do, man, is change your methods. You probably need to change the music a little bit. If people don't like music about Jesus. They don't like anything. When you're going to try to learn to shorten the sermon a little bit, we like 50 minutes of music and 10 minutes of that boring sermon stuff. We don't want to hear the Word of God preach. And, you know, we, we need to shorten the sermon so we can get some young people in here so they can not tithe and whine all the time. I hear there's a church growth seminar coming up. Paul, you probably need to go there and learn some new preaching techniques. we got to reach some people, man. You, you, you could get personal teaching from some growth guru. Maybe you just need to get with the times, Paul. When you get to Corinth, man, change some things. Do some stuff. So Paul leaves Athens with a little bit of success, few converts. He goes to Corinth, and on the way, I'm sure he had a good talking to himself. I'm sure he wondered, man, why? I couldn't get anybody saved. What am I going to do? Paul says, well, I changed the message. Maybe not sure so much. Maybe I won't use these harsh words anymore. Maybe I'll just straighten up just a little bit. Maybe I'll fix some of these things. Paul says, I'm just going to fix all this stuff. Maybe I can just call Barnabas and say, hey, uh, I'm just not as encouraging as you. What do you think I ought to do, Barnabas? You think I ought to just water the message down just a little bit? No, that's not what Paul did. Paul came, and then Paul says this in chapter 6 of this book in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Got quiet in here. Does that sound like Paul watered it down? Well, Brother Jerry, you just need to soften it up just a little bit. You know what? I'm going to stand before God one day, and the one thing he's going to, the first thing he's going to ask me is, What did you do with my son? And I won't even have to answer because Jesus will say that one's mine. And then I'm going to be judged about whether I've been faithful or not. Dr. Jerry Vine says, Paul came to Corinth not as a sightseer. He didn't come to Corinth as a philosopher, but he came as a soul winner. I'm a Baptist, called Baptist preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a soul winner, and that's what I'll be measured on when I get to heaven. And so I guess Paul... Learned his lessons probably from some seeker-sensitive church growth movement. Can I just tell you something? Men that are lost don't seek after God. Something has to get their attention. Look, three keys. The title of the message is the ancient message to the modern audience. And I stand convinced and pleased in my heart today that the same message that Paul preached is just as good today as it ever was, and that's all I have to bring to you. And <laughs> Paul says in verse number one, preacher, trust the message. Trust the message. 
Paul delivered the message. Even after, quote, what we would consider to be failure in Athens, Paul brought the same thing to Corinth. Our Greek words here, Paul says, I didn't come with excellency or authority of lofty prominence or, or super spiritual words. I brought the simple gospel. I don't ever want you to leave here thinking, I didn't know what Brother Jerry said today. I want you to understand the truth. That's why I'm breaking it down word by word. Paul says, I didn't bring man's Sophia. I didn't bring the sophist. I didn't talk about the rhetoric of Aristotle or Plato. I shared the gospel with you. He said, I came to preach, to herald, to proclaim. He said, I brought the musterion to you. I brought the testimony, the mystery of God. I brought the counsel of God. I did not come to you from Athens to impress you with my preaching skills I didn't bring philosophical ideas or clever modern teaching techniques or even some old wives' tales or oratory excellence. I came to Corinth with the saving message of God's plan of salvation so that the counsel of God might be revealed to you. I simply trusted the message of God that he gave me to preach, and I left the results to God. Now, that's exegeting the text. See, my job is to teach you the Bible, not Aristotle. Because Aristotle can't save you. But Jesus can. Paul brought what God gave him. In Romans 1, 16, I love this. One of the biggest cities in the world. Paul is sending this letter to Rome. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You know what saves men? Not cute little poems, not little cute Christian sayings. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take the message. When I came to you, I did not announce or bring the testimony of God to you. I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Paul says, I didn't bring that philosophical foolishness with me. I brought the gospel to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The message The letter to the Colossians, Paul says, I came to you and I asked for prayers so that I might have an open door to share the message. To the Thessalonians, he says, the message rang out. When Paul says uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, pray for the brothers so that the message may be spread rapidly. Paul tells Timothy that it was the message that was revealed to him that brought about his calling unto the ministry that brings men, the message brings men from darkness unto light. In Titus, he said, hold firmly to the message. The apostle Peter tells us that the Jews missed the Messiah completely because they disobeyed the message. First John 1 John 1.5, this is the message that we have heard from him. 1 John 2, 7, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This is the old command. It is the message that you've heard. The Savior himself said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You got to trust the message, preacher. Christian, you got to trust the message. When you're intimidated by the world and its culture, trust the message. Theologically, it's God's plan of salvation. I don't have a right to change that. 
You say, Pastor, are you yelling at us this morning? No, I'm trying to tell you when you hear these preachers that water it down and change it, there's a preacher across town that literally says that the creation story is not really real because we were just too stupid to understand it, so God made up the creation because we couldn't understand evolution. For practical reasons, not everybody is creative. Not everybody is a great preacher. Some guys can't even preach. Literally, don't mean this in any disrespectful way, but if you were to listen to Billy Graham back in the days when he had so much fire, he was a good preacher, but Billy Graham himself wasn't a great preacher. But he had something that most men didn't have that day, holiness and the power of God on him because he was preaching the message. The humility, the humanity of Billy would have gotten away, but the power of God fixed that. Practical reasons. Every messenger is different. I'm not to copy anything or anybody. I'm here to say today that the message, trust it, the message is sufficient. Then he says in verse 2, know the message. Deliver the essence of the message. Unfortunately, men have changed the message when when it didn't get the results that they wanted. We didn't get 50 people saved, so I'm just not doing that. We'll make the music longer. People love the message. Uh, We're going to do a rock and roll show. We're going to give away free gifts. We're going to auction off a dog, whatever it is. Y'all think I'm kidding. I know a church very close by auctioned off a dog. You got one? No, I'm not taking any dogs this morning, so here's the message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look at verse 2. You look at it. Don't just take my word. What did he say? For I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I don't come to this pulpit with anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified, you're blessed because I take it from many different angles, illustrate it for you, apply it for you, do all of these good things so that you can get it. I spoon feed you every Sunday. You get spoon-fed in Sunday school. That's the American way. Paul says, I'm telling you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. How good is that? What else can you add that makes Jesus Christ and him crucified know the message? Never, ever preach. Preacher, listen to me. Never preach the cross with bows. Never put bows and ribbons on the cross. It's about the death, the burial, and resurrection of one who died for you and for me. Paul said, I was determined. I was determined. I was resolved to bring the same message to you that God gave me. I didn't get anything in Athens. I didn't get the success I probably wanted. But praise God for the five, six, ten people that did. And some of them joined Paul. And I want to tell you, you just look at the, listen, what if Paul led in that day, one of the modern-day Billy Grahams of that day to the Lord, and that person went on and led millions of people to Christ. We don't know that. Paul said, I resolved, I determined. The Greek word is krino. It means I judged, I ordained, I esteemed, I determined, I sentenced. Paul says, I passed, listen, this in context. Paul said, I passed a sentence on the message. I judged the message, and I determined, I ordained the message, and I determined after judging the message that it was sufficient. 
If you love the message, if the message has changed you this morning, would you just say amen? <clears throat> Dr. Vine says that Dr. Vine says the gospel is the theme above all things. Paul exclusively teaches the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing it is the only message that can bring conversion to the sinner. The cross is not an afterthought in God's mind, but the goal from all eternity. The message of Christ crucified on the cross does not make good men better. It makes dead men come alive. <laughs> this is good right here. I'm going to tell you, this is good. Galatians 6, 14, to the Galatians, to the Galatians, another city. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher, trust the message. Nowhere, no, listen. I was listening the other day. Y'all know I like Trisha Yearwood. Y'all pray for me. So Trisha got invited somewhere to go sing. They said, what you gonna sing? She said, uh, start naming all these things off. She said, I don't know if the crowd will receive these very well, but I think I'm going to sing that. And Gar said, why don't you sing? She's in love with the boy. She's in love with the boy. Y'all know that song? How many of you heathens know that song? Y'all know that song? That's a good song. That's one of my favorite Trisha Yearwood going. Here's what, Gar, here's what Gar said. Dance with the girl that brung you. Y'all all right? What made Trisha Yearwood famous? She's in love with the boy. Preacher, you better dance with the girl that brung you. You all right? What you going to preach there, Brother Jerry? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. You going to feed the saints? Yes. Going to break it apart word for word. What we're going to preach here at Woodlake? The gospel. Because, see, if I preach Jerry Gray, nobody gets saved. Nobody. But if I preach the gospel, people will get saved. Now, here's the last thing. Demonstrate the message. Verse 3 and 4, watch this. I came to you in weakness. This is one of the greatest ironies in the scripture right here. This is a great passage. Paul says, when I came to you, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the power demonstrated by the Spirit. Here's the greatest irony in all of Scripture. Paul says, I am athenia, weakness. The word means diseased, feeble, sick. He said, I came to you with phobia, the word phobia, fear. Paul said, I came with fear and trembling. Tromos. The word trembling is the word for trauma. Paul said, when I got to you to preach the life-saving message of the gospel, the greatest spiritual irony is this, that a human being stand before you this morning, I am weak, I am sick, I am delivering the life-saving message of the gospel through a body that has been traumatized by iniquity and sin and selfishness, and lust, and pride, and greed. And 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 
The greatest irony is that you get to see the Spirit's power displayed through a diseased body. I've always wondered if somebody come and said, Pastor, we would love for you to come and be our pastor. And I'd send my resume to him, and I'd fix my resume and say, I'm sick, I'm feeble, I'm diseased, and because of my iniquity, I've been traumatized. You think I'd get a call back? Do you think if Paul the Apostle sent his resume, well, I used to persecute the church, used to kill Christians, you think anybody would call him back? Well, they would never give him a second look. And here he is. How can this be? How can it be? How can the, the delivery of the ancient message go through this body? I want to tell you, it's quite simple. And, and do it through the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Look what he said right there, verse 4. I didn't come to you with the stuff from the woke culture. I did not come to you from the things I brought from Athens. I brought the same simple gospel message to Corinth. And not only did I bring that same message, I preached it to you through a sinful, weak, feeble flesh. One of the greatest truths I learned this week in my devotion, Spurgeon talked about our inheritance. And he talked in there, and it was just a couple of lines, a couple of sentences that Paul talked about our inheritance. And he, he went to the body, and he said, one day you're going to get a body to the glory of God. But right now, I don't have a body to the glory of God. I've been redeemed, mind, body, and spirit, but I hadn't gotten my new body yet. And so when I got up this morning, I rolled out of bed, and I thought to myself, the first thing was, Lord Jesus, I love you. I can't wait to worship. I can't wait to preach. But good grief, my knees hurt. And every time I move, every time I get indigestion, every time I lust, and every time I get angry without cause, I, I get to thinking what Spurgeon said, that the body is the body of humility. This body is supposed to remind me that I am useless without Jesus. That's your problem. Your problem is that God put you in this body. You say, could that really be true? What have we learned about the Lord Jesus Christ? He came from glory in a perfect spiritual body by way of the virgin birth and took on flesh. He took on this body. In humility, the scripture literally says he became nothing. He emptied himself and by way of humility. Listen, folks, what is the greatest humility that God could display to us? By coming in a body like this. Every time you hurt, every time you get a migraine, every time you get a headache, every time your arthritis goes to acting up, you know what it's doing? It's reminding you that this is not all there is. We've got to start thinking about people that we lose and those people that die. And the pain and the agony and the suffering that you feel right now is here for one special purpose, that we demonstrate the Spirit's power. This is not all there is. The word for demonstrate right here, beautiful Greek word. It's trans, it could be translated literally as this, the most righteous proof. You, you want to demonstrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? Keep serving him. Got cancer? Keep serving him. Lost your eyesight? Keep serving. You have a heartache this morning? Keep serving. Keep serving. You, you, you've got to trust the message. 
You've got to know the message, and we as believers have to demonstrate that message. We can't give in to the culture. Verse number 5, the purpose of the message. Now, I've taught you all this, and I want you to know, what's the first words in your text? So, it's the Greek word, henna. Some of your texts will probably say, so that. And some of your texts will really be even more correct, and they'll say, the purpose of. Y'all all right? So here's, this is the reason, this is the reason that you have to, you have to trust it, know it, and demonstrate it. Verse 5 says, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. (laughs) That's the reason. See, our reason here is so that other people will see you living it out. They'll see that you don't give up on it. You know, I'll tell you one thing. When I go, they may never say I was a great preacher, but nobody will ever be able to say, well, he left the message and went to something else, and that's what happened. No, I'm going to stay right here in the book, stay right here with Jesus. I'm not going to church gurus or men's methods or enticing words. Listen, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. You know this passage well, but let's put it in context with this passage. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. That's what's happening in the council culture today. The preachers have left the message. And if nobody else gets saved, I'm not leaving the message. Do you know why we have so many inactive people? Let's bring it, let's bring it home. Do you know why we have so many inactive people at Woodlake? Because I, because I do trust the message. Because I do know the message. And because we demonstrate the message through the power of the Spirit in the pulpit. You see, the backslider will either receive the message or they'll get lost. You can't, take, you can't take preaching the gospel. You can't take the message out of the book if you're not walking with the Lord. See, the purpose of it is restoration and to build one's faith. I've had people tell me, I said, why don't you come? We love you. We want you to be a part here. Man, you need to hear the word preached. I love you, Brother Jerry, but I can't take the conviction. At least they're honest. Listen, we want to see. Do you want to see the Spirit's power at Willow Lake Baptist Church today? You want to see? You know what we've never seen? You know what we've never seen? We've never seen 10 people saved. Not even 10 people saved on one Sunday. Never seen that before. We've never seen that. Have we ever seen the Spirit's power sweep through Woodlake and people get healed? Have we ever seen people get their lives changed? When's the last time you heard of a young man going into the ministry? Wow. Where's all these things at? Because we just don't have the faith. We don't have the passion. We don't know the message. We've forsaken God in so many different ways. It's one of my favorite stories. And then I'm, this is it. I'm done. <clears throat> Dr. R.G. Lee, pastor before Adrian Rogers took over Bellevue, he said there one morning, tells his time of a story of a time in church early one Sunday morning, he felt like there was a warm blanket that had just been put around him. And he sensed that God was moving. It was a Sunday morning. He said, I just felt like 
the fingers of God were massaging me, gently caressing over me. He told one of the deacons when he got to church, we're going to have a special day today at Bellevue. Dr. Lee preached a brief message, a good sermon. When they gave the invitation, a large crowd was stirred like a forest with an invisible wind. People began to pour down the aisles, and young people came forward, committing themselves to the Lord. A, a, a young lawyer walked up to Dr. Lee and says, I have hated the man in this church for 10 years, and I have an appointment with him today for lunch at 1245, and I'm going to ask for his forgiveness. 126 people made decisions for Jesus Christ that day. For the Lord Jesus brought them, and they were lined up across the front of the sanctuary. I want to say to you, that's the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Never make the mistake, never make the mistake of letting the world intimidate you away from the message. The ancient message is for a modern people. We're not so modern that we're not sinners anymore. <laughs> we're still sinners. We need the power of God in our lives. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Father, this is your moment. As best as I can, Father, forgive my humanity. Forgive my weakness. But I know that in my weakness and in my humanity, the Scripture says that the power of God will rest upon a man who is weak, traumatized, ineffective. And I pray, Lord Jesus, if there's one person in here today that does not know you, that they'll just step out and come to pastor and say, Brother Jerry, would you lead me to faith in Jesus? I want to understand and know the best friend that you have. I want a Father in heaven. I want a Savior. Lord, would you help them come to that conclusion? For the folks watching by way of Internet, the same thing for them. They don't need to be here. They don't need to walk an aisle. They can just, just turn their face and their heart towards you this morning and look to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me, cleanse me. Lord, let your power fall in this room at this moment. There's folks who have been struggling and maybe they want to come this morning and, and join Woodlake. Would you give them the courage to just come? There's folks that just need to come to the altar and pray and just humble their hearts and pray for their friends and their family. And so, Lord, we love you today. And we stand humble because of your goodness. We love the gospel message. And I promise you, Father, before these witnesses that I'll never leave the message. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.